This is who we are. We are our passions. We are idiosyncratic. We are messy. We have to deal with life as it comes. And this is why Charlie Brown is a great hero, because one thing that he made sure of is that Charlie Brown kept going. He never got to kick the football, but he never stopped trying. Episode 8, Peanuts is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. So... Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. Christmas, Christmas time is here. Okay. Yeah. I won't, I won't do that the whole episode, I promise. <laughs> yeah. So one of my absolute favorite pieces of television of all time is the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Well, I, I, I take it back. I love all of the... I love all of the Charlie Brown specials, but it occurred to me earlier this year that the reason I relate to these so much is because the Peanuts characters are coded as autistic. And because that's the thing, when you look at this from an autistic lens, everything makes much more sense. Uh, because, for instance, if you'll read the quote, uh, Charlie Brown starts off the Christmas special with this quote. Okay, so this is Charlie Brown. He says, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that. But I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. And then Linus, his autistic best friend, says, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Out of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. And... When you come at that, as uh, he is a very, very sharp, hyperlexic, autistic kid, everything about this makes sense because this is a time of year when a lot of people get together. A lot of people are having parties and 
doing the whole social thing. And, but, and multiple conversations in one room. Yeah, yeah. Lots which, of like, process. kills me. The TV's on, music is playing, there's 16 conversations. Are you people trying to kill me? Yeah, lots of noise complexity going on, lots of process complexity, uh, presence being opened, food being had. It's uh, It can be a very, very difficult time for us. And I was watching this wonderful, wonderful special. Uh, it's airing on Apple Plus uh, called Who Are You, Charlie Brown? And mm. it takes a look through Charles Schultz's life. Charles Schultz is the guy who created Charlie Brown. And there's a lot of evidence in this special that shows that Charles Schultz may be one of us. And this is a quote from Charles Schultz himself uh, talking about his daily life. Uh, he says, this is Charles Schultz. He says, I love my daily routine of getting up, going down to the ice arena and having breakfast and going into the studio in the morning. When it comes right down to it, I'd rather sit and draw funny pictures than do anything else. And his wife elaborated... <laughs> And she said he would get up in the morning, drive down the hill, park in the same place every day, ate an English muffin with grape jelly, and went into his office and sat at his desk and worked, always in his studio, solitary, sat, and created. That is an autistic life. He loved his uh, routine. He loved the security and everything. He loved... He had his special, but this, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let but me like, tell this you. This is the thing about this. This could be my morning routine too. It's like, I never know what's going to happen during the day. I don't know what crazy ass email I'm going to get. Who's going to need me for some emergency. But like, at least I can start my day with the exact same schedule. My list would be longer. I have a very elaborate morning routine and it starts with dawn. So I like oh, to wake up and watch sunrise. And it, it's like, it makes me at least feel at the beginning of the day, like maybe everything will be okay. If I can have like that little bit of control, it usually goes off the rails at some point, but if I can hold it together, that's where I can be my most productive and creative. Yeah, yeah. And it gives us this security because, once again, the thing about our brains is that our neurons are hyper-connected. We have way, way, way more connections than holistic people do. And because of that, we have what they call the intense world theory, which is where the entire world seems incredibly chaotic to us. And we need these this structure and we need this routine in order to be happy, in order to be healthy, in order to be productive. And it seems like Charles Schultz really, really leaned into this because that is what helped him be who he was. But but let me give you a little bit of background on Charles Schultz. He dreamed of having a comic strip since he was six years old. Mm. And as a matter of fact, his nickname was Sparky, uh, based on Sparkplug the Horse from the comic strip Barney Google and Snuffy Smith. And uh, they called or Sparkplug the Horse the Snoopy of the 1920s. Wow. So he grew up with this nickname because he loved comic strips. Uh, those were essentially the Marvel movies of their day. Those were the Pixar, the Disney of their day. And he, from an age of six, he said that that is what he wanted to do with his entire life. Huh. Uh, 
He said that he was always a shy kid. He always walked with his head down. He said that he did well in school and even skipped a grade. But because of that, he was always the youngest kid in school and he always felt alone. So he spent a lot of time hanging out in his father's barber shop. Mm. When he got into middle school, things got a lot worse for him. He got very depressed. Then he started failing everything in eighth grade. And he turned to the one thing that he loved, which was sketching and drawing. That is the thing that got him through because that was the world that was comfortable to him. It helped him deal with the social isolation. It helped him deal with being awkward and not uh, fitting in with other people. And he wanted to be a cartoonist. So Uh, I've heard you say this before on other episodes where you talk about we need our special interests and we need to make time. So it's a it's the opposite view, I think, of how most people think of. And it's why I don't always love the term special interest. It's just our fucking interest. But anyway, Um, but like I think uh, even in the ABA structure, you can be rewarded like your special interest is some extra that if you're good and you do all the other things, maybe you can have five minutes to sketch and draw if you can, I don't know, sit quiet enough in circle time. So can you talk about that? Like, because I think special interests can save our lives, but also create amazing things in the world, but not if they're a reward. That's the thing. So holistic views of our, uh, so I refer to special interests as spins, S-P-I-N, special interests, spins, because again, it's less pathologizing to say this is what spins you. Yeah. So the the holistics call these obsessions Mm. and say that obsessions are bad because Mm. we need to be more focused on socializing. Well, more, more specifically socializing with holistics that we need to have holistic social skills instead of doing what it is that we love. And this is so pathologizing and so incorrect because these are the things that give us life. These are the things that bring us joy. For instance, my son, he's six. The things that he loves most in the world are electric towers, cell phone towers, the Eiffel Tower, Snoopy, bridges. Everything that we do is based on these and drawing these and going out and touching these. Just yesterday, we went out to touch electric towers because it's nice and cool outside. The grass is low. We can get to them easily. He looks forward to that. He, we, we go out on a trip every Wednesday to touch electric towers because that is what he loves. And he will and come that, home. And that like, gives you energy. Like when exactly. We, we go into autistic burnout when we're trying to mask all the time and trying to fit in. And when you can tap into your spin, what you love, touching electric towers, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. That's going to give you more fuel. And what Charles Schultz did here when he's talking about his life, it's like, oh, I found the thing that gives me energy. That's going to get me through going to school. Some of the other things you have to do, humaning with the neuromajority, you're going to get more energy from being able to tap into who you are authentically and what you actually love and get energy from. Yeah. And again, he said, that's what life was about to me. He didn't say that's what I liked. He didn't say that's what I loved. He said, that's what life was about. And this is the thing about our spins, because Our identities are not based on, 
I am this so-and-so's relative, not this is, you know, my position in life, not this is my degree. It's this is what I love. This is my fandom. This is the thing that uh, I, I love so much in the world. It makes me who I am. And this is this is a defining thing for us. We there is no positive word as of yet for this this euphoric burst that we get when we are engaged in our special interests. Uh, Chixik Mihai, uh, a researcher, talked about the concept of flow with a capital F and how when we are engaged in our special interests, we go into this state of zen where our brains change over from alpha waves to theta waves. And we are in this transcendent state of meditation. And we need that to heal. Our bodies heal. Our minds heal. It helps make us who we are and how to survive this chaotic world that does not like us. Mm-hmm. So this is a survival mechanism for him, especially when Charles Schultz, uh, in 1942, he was drafted into the army. And that mm-hmm. was very, very crushing for him, especially since he was drafted when his mother became ill. And at one point, uh, she said, we should probably say goodbye now because I won't see you again. And he was a very, very emotionally sensitive kid uh, by his own account. And that crushed him. So he spent a lot of time in the military drawing and practicing his skills because he decided that since he was often homesick and lonely, he was going to become a cartoonist. And when he got back home, he published a few cartoons, but uh, he tried and failed for five years. For five years, he submitted, he submitted, he submitted. He got one here and there, but he just couldn't make it. But finally, in 1950, he started doing Little Folks, and then that became Peanuts. And he, he never liked the name Peanuts because it was his editor's choice. Uh, I think it came from the peanut gallery from the Howdy Doody show. And, but he, he never really got the connotation with that. Again, very literal minded man like us. So uh, he decided to draw very mature kid characters. And for those uh, who uh, are watching on YouTube, I have this, uh, this uh, Charlie Brown action figure from uh, my wall of autistic heroes. At some point, I'm going to have to show my wall of autistic heroes because whenever there's an autistic coded character, I uh, get an action figure of that character, put it on the wall of heroes so that my son can see all of the characters out there like us. And this is the first ever comic strip where Charlie Brown's walking down the street and Shermie, uh, the, the character who is a shepherd in the Christmas play, says, well, here comes good old Charlie Brown. Good old Charlie Brown. Yes, sir. Good old Charlie Brown. How I hate him. <laughs> and he was essentially the South Park of his day because he had all these hyperlexic kids acting in very adult ways, talking in very adult ways. And he, he didn't want to talk down to his audience, which is kind of ironic, uh, considering that when he started doing the specials, he was adamant uh, because, again, standard practice is that for all children, you get adult women and have them mimic child voices right. uh, like Bart Simpson. Uh, uh, anyway, he was adamant that they get actual children and record them doing their lines, even if it meant having Bill Melendez, uh, his producer 
and the voice of Snoopy read the children the lines one at a time because the children weren't old enough to read yet. Wow. So, so yeah. When, so when a lot of people think about autistics, especially autistic kids, they will think about non-speaking autistic kids. You mentioned hyperlexia. Ah, Yes. So it feels to me in some ways like hyperlexia is the opposite of non-speaking, loquacious, loquaciousness. Why would two ends of that both be autistic as opposed it, it, to like talking a little? It's, it's almost as if it's a spectrum. Oh, interesting. Say more. Indeed. And this the is doctor the thing. is in. Five cents. Go. Exactly. This is the thing that uh, a lot of people don't get about what it means to be autistic because are the one thing that is the defining trait of the autistic brain is the hyperconnections but our connections are not uniform our connections are what they call idiosyncratic meaning that it's sort of like a lightning strike neurons are a whole bunch of lightning strikes and you can never predict where the neurons are going to connect, where the synapses are going to happen, which areas of the brain are going to be hyperconnected. So an area of the brain that might be hyperconnected in one kid might not be in another. And especially in the speech area, it also, whereas neurotypicals and allistics refer to autism as a developmental disability, I refer to it as a developmental difference because mm. the brain is connecting throughout childhood and indeed throughout our lives, but it may not connect in the same rate and in the same places as uh, allistic peers, meaning that someone might develop uh, speech and reading skills far earlier than allistic peers, and some might develop them far later than allistic peers. For instance, my son, uh, I, I measured him myself because, again, this is what I do for a living. And by age four, he could read words and say words out loud on a third grade level. Wow. And I, I gave him all these words. I, I put all the words out and he would just read them and he, he, he could read them out loud. He loved playing reading games. But at the same time, he is primarily echolalic, a word which means he repeats sounds and phrases that he hears. Every time we go over a bridge, he goes, uh, and matches the pitch and tone oh, of the bridge. Same. Oh my God, yeah. for me, it was boats. Ah, so my yes. parents had a boat and match it. My fa I would always want to go on the boat because I like to match the sound of the motor. Yeah. yeah. And no one could hear you humming because the boat was so loud. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I get to match pitch. But I did that on bridges too. I love that. I can hear the sound of the Tappan Zee Bridge right now. <laughs> yeah. And that, that has a lot to do with our phonological loop. Because so in your working memory, you have essentially what is a short term recorder in your working memory. And for allistics, this phonological loop is essentially text-to-speech dictation software, uh, uh, speech-to-text dictation mm -hmm. software, where words are turned into text and you can save this text. For us, it's just recording MP3s. So when we record sounds, when we record speech, we record all of the nuance, all of the sound effects in the background, everything, so that our, our stuff is much more detailed, which results in us becoming what they call gestalt language processors, meaning that, again, with my son, he will record entire snippets of speech including cadence and rhythm of speech, including background noises, including 
music in the background. And then when asked about it, he will repeat the entire thing. He's memorized the entire special of It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and can recite it verbatim, including the sound effects when Snoopy is uh, in a dogfight, including the music. Uh, He will fall down when Charlie Brown and Snoopy falls down because he has recorded all of this data, not just the text. You should hear me do all the characters in a musical. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) With the voices and everything included, because that that is how we develop this kind of stuff. And because of that, it might look to outsiders as though speech is not developed when speech is much more deeply developed. Mm. And there's a lot of people who have difficulty speaking and might have verbal apraxia, uh, an inability to produce a lot of speech, but are incredibly fluent using an AAC device, uh, a, a tablet where you can have uh, preloaded words and phrases on there, and they are able to communicate quite eloquently. And this is a big thing that I'm an advocate for, again, because my son is primarily echolalic. There are a lot of people in the world who believe that they need to speak on behalf of their children instead of giving their children the additional resources necessary to communicate. Mm. Because non-speaking does not mean non-thinking. These these people are able to think just as well as anybody else. It's just that there is a essentially a translation error in getting it out into verbal speech. But people who are hyperlexic have the opposite end of that problem. Uh, for instance, I, I am and was a hyperlexic child. And there was one time when I was working in community mental health, one person came up to me and said, Matt, where are y'all from? And I said, uh, you know, she said, y'all talk funny. And this is a therapist. And I said, you know, without breaking a beat, the moon, I'm from the moon. This is how the moon people speak. And we've been watching you. And she said, no, seriously, where are y'all from? The moon. The moon. Yeah. And just, yeah, yeah, just come on, man. Uh, Just one time at at one of my first jobs, I was uh, working at a uh, mental health facility and in charting every night, I, I used the word, this person decried something. And somebody came up and said, decry, is that really a word? And I said, yes, yes, it's a word. And he said, we'll use it in a sentence. I'm decrying your use of the word decry. This person decried something. I used it in a sentence. It was in my damn report, fool. Exactly. And and the next day, somebody put a news clipping in my locker uh, from the TV guide where it, it was a description of The Simpsons saying Marge decries something or other. Because, again, the TV guide is written at a third grade level and this guy, a professional, did not know that word. But that's the thing about Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown and especially Linus are are very hyperlexic. Lucy even despite being mean and sarcastic, she's hyper. All of the Peanuts characters have Charles Schultz's sensibilities and vocalizations and speech abilities. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, 
check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowerylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. Charles Schultz once said, I am Charlie Brown. Mm. He identified with him. He said that Charlie Brown was constantly bullied, but he keeps going. Mm. The little red-haired girl in the comics uh, and in the specials is based on this red-haired woman that he really, really liked, but she was engaged to somebody else. And he gave it a shot. She still married him, but he never forgot her because he, he felt very, very deeply for her. Charles Schultz said that Linus is his philosophical side, where he's always asking the bigger questions. Lucy said that uh, she's, uh, or Charles Schultz said that Lucy is his sarcastic side. Hmm. And we all have people in our lives like Lucy who set us up and then take away the football because we are very forward, trust, very trusting people. And this can end up in a lot of difficulties for autistic people because we say, ah, yes, I wouldn't ever betray this person. Why would they betray me? And then they take away the football. Mm. And this is a big thing that happened uh, a lot in Charles Schultz's life with people that you know he didn't trust. So he had to find people that he did. Uh, he found his wife. He found Bill Melendez. He, he struck up close relationships with a lot of other cartoonists, including uh, like, uh, oh man, I can't remember the one from from Better or Worse, but one of his best friends uh, resulted in him creating Peppermint Patty. Oh, I love Peppermint Patty. He described Peppermint Patty as totally her own person. She's bored at school, but great at sports. And she was inspired by one of his great friends, uh, the famous tennis star, Billie Jean King. Oh, maybe Peppermint Patty's in the LGBTQ mafia. Yeah, yeah she is canonically <laughs> queer. All right, I and like it. Yeah, uh, and Billie Jean King said that uh, Sparky, again, Charles Schultz's nickname, was a feminist very committed to social justice. Oh, social justice. Ding, ding, ding. Welcome to autistic culture. That, and that's the thing. Because of our... Uh, we have this thing where we we have a very, very big issue with social inequality because if something's not fair, it bugs us. Mm. I, I can't tell you how many kids I've seen say, that kid is touching the light. He should not be touching the light. I told him he should not be touching the light. The teacher said to mind my own business because we can't deal with unfairness. So so here's the thing. He created Franklin Armstrong in 1968, right after the assassination of Martin Luther King. Oh. Uh, a school teacher named Harriet Glickman wrote him a letter and said that since he had this nationwide platform, he needed to use it for good and introduce a black child to the Peanuts gang. And at first he said, I don't know if I can do that because it wouldn't seem, it might seem disingenuous. What if I write it wrong? And so she wrote to her friends and they wrote her, uh, Kenneth Kelly and Monica Gunning, two black parents, wrote to him and said, no, please, you gotta give it your best shot. There are almost no people of color in comics in 1968. Mm. So he said that he could change things. And uh, this is a direct quote uh, from him about the creation of Franklin. And I'll put that right there. 
Okay. I held off Franklin for a long time because I simply felt I wasn't capable of doing him properly and I didn't want to appear to be patronizing. I tried to do it without fanfare. So his solution was to just have a series of strips where Charlie Brown goes to the beach, loses his beach ball, and Franklin shows up and gives him the beach ball back and they start building sandcastles together like it's no big deal. And because of that, newspapers in the South, they got pissed. Oh, my God. This is like Mr. Rogers getting his feet washed by the black mailman, right? Oh, 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 there will be a Mr. Rogers episode very soon. I can't wait. Yeah, uh, but but yes, exactly. So they said that they are going to drop the strip. He said, do it. I dare you. And they said, okay, so we won't drop the strip as long as you don't have them in the same classroom. And what? yeah, because desegregation had not yet happened. Oh. So so he decided, oh, now he's in the classroom. So every time they had a classroom setting, he was there in the classroom to remind them that they were all there together. Because he was like, eat this. Mm-hmm. He just, there's no way that, and this is the thing. This is, he thought that it was massively unfair to discriminate against people for any reason. So he, he needed that representation. Uh, and again, the reason that Franklin was not originally there, because he didn't want to do it poorly. He didn't want people to say, oh, that's bad. You're wrong. He wanted to have him there. And Franklin has been a part of her since. And as a matter of fact, these days, Franklin is very, very invested in aeronautics and uh, space. And they have uh, Apple Plus uh, Snoopy shows where Franklin talks about the universe and the Hubble Space Telescope because uh, Charles Schultz had been partnering with NASA since the 60s, and they named the lunar lander Snoopy after Snoopy because this is the world that he has. Everything in Charles Schultz's life is based on the stuff that he loves, his special interests. He played ice hockey and uh, skated, so the kids in Peanuts skate a lot and they play ice hockey. His he's a big dreamer, uh, so Snoopy became a dreamer. Snoopy never settled for being a dog. He's mm. not a dog. He's the World War One fighting ace. He is Joe Cool. He has all these massive adventures. He has a little entourage with Woodstock and all of the birds. He's never just a dog. Also, uh, Schroeder, the kid who plays the piano, is always playing symphonies that Charles Schultz liked. Mm. And uh, Charles Schultz's wife called him her sweet baboo. So he put that into the strip because that is just who he is. Also, uh, he wanted to, because he had chronically low self-esteem for much of his life, that's why he put Pigpin in. Because Pigpin is constantly criticized by the other kids for having this big cloud of dust. But he has, quote, dignity in the face of criticism with incredibly high self-esteem. And he's very proud to be who he is. And this is the big thing that he wanted to impart on his readers to get people to be proud of themselves. And Charlie Brown is who he is, who is always exactly always Mm. getting knocked down, uh, not a popular kid. And this is uh, actually this is another quote from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. This is from Charlie Brown. He says, rats, nobody sent me a Christmas card today. I almost wish there weren't a holiday season. 
I know nobody likes me. Why do we have to have a holiday season to emphasize it? And this is a quote from the Halloween special. Hey, I got an invitation to a Halloween party. And then Lucy says, is the invitation to Violet's party, Charlie Brown? And Charlie Brown says, yes, it's the first time I've been invited to a party. Charlie Brown, if you got an invitation, it was a mistake. There were two lists, Charlie Brown, one to invite and one not to invite. You must have been put on the wrong list. This is a recurring theme in all of Charlie Brown's appearances in all of his life because... In all of my life. (laughs) Exactly. And this is a thing that I think that a lot of autistic people can relate to because... Again, because of our hyperconnected brains, because of the way that we speak, because of the way we interact, we are often excluded from social events. We are often excluded from holistic peer get-togethers. We are often criticized for being different at work. We are often criticized for just existing differently. And so Charlie I want to share. Yeah. Uh, I want to share a personal experience with this one, yes. which took me a long time to figure out, and this was was one of the things that my diagnosis helped me with. I have had throughout my life, since I was like maybe 12, friends who would tell me, hey, I still want to be friends with you, but I don't want to be friends with you in public. So like at school, Uh... I don't want people to know we're friends or like, I don't want to go to parties with you on the weekend, but I want to talk to you on Sunday about what happened at the parties over the weekend. And so it was always like people wanted my advice. They wanted my opinion. They wanted to even be with me, but they didn't want me at the party and they didn't want anyone to know they didn't want me at the party. And they asked me to be complicit in that. And then going back to the football being taken away, I kept going for it. Like I fell for that many, many times because I was like, well, she does like me. And maybe after we hang out on Sunday enough times, I'll eventually get invited to the party. But I was never I was always on the other list. (laughs) Yeah. And this is a big reason why I always tell autistic people that our relationships are based on the three F's, friends, family and fictional characters, Mm. because We can dive into fictional worlds and we don't have that rejection from the real world. We we make friends with these fictional characters who are always there for us. We we reread the same things over and over again. We identify with these characters because they 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 show pieces of us. We can identify with them and they won't do that. They won't have parties and not invite us. Right. So for me, that was like. Bono. I was like really into you too. Michael Jackson. Eventually one of my special interests was a band called Crowded House. And so even though they weren't fictional characters in a way they were, cause I could put on a Bono CD anytime and it would, he would still not found what he was looking for. Me neither, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and Sid Vicious too. So <laughs> yeah. And this is why we have such close relationships with our media, movies, music, podcasts because Mm -hmm. we need companionship. That's the thing. Okay, so there's this ridiculous belief among holistics that we are non-so or that we are well they call us anti-social. And that number one, the word anti-social means that you go around punching people in the face with a rock, not that you don't want to be around people. We 
we come to fear being around people because of what we call rejection sensitivity dysphoria. We want people in our lives. Young autistics might be misdiagnosed because uh, an holistic evaluator will say, oh, well, they can't be autistic. They want friends. Everybody wants friends. This is the human condition. Everybody wants to have people in their life that they care about, who cares about them, who has this, what we call social reciprocity, not just being there to give them the test answers, but they ignore us at parties. We all want friends. We all want a community. And this is the reason why I've built up Autistic Connections as a community for autistic people. And we'll include a link to that in the show description. Because I realized a long, long time ago that because the world is a very difficult place for us, we tend to mask. And when we mask, other autistics can't find us. Other people who love the things that we love can't find us. So I decided to make a place for autistic people, the land of Autistica. Mm. And this is this is why we have the land of Autistica and the upcoming book series and the group, everything so that we can meet other people like us so that we won't be alone. And this is a big thing with uh, Charles Schultz because he really, really, really loved the characters that he created. He loved the world that he created. In fact, in 1981, he was uh, admitted to emergency surgery because he had chest pains. And when he was in the hospital, the first thing that he did when he woke up was to ask for a piece of paper and a pen to see if he could still draw. So the first thing he did was to draw Charlie Brown, and he was a little shaky after that. And then he said, this is what it looks like now, because he did not want to stop. And so this brings up... And uh, he actually drew all of his own cartoons, right? Exactly. And like Emily Dickinson, he, he was the only person who drew and inked every single strip throughout the entire run. And when it was all said and done, he had drawn over 18,000 cartoons. 18,000 every single day of the week for decades. As a matter of fact, and this is, uh, this is probably the most tragic thing about uh, everything because he... In 2000, he was diagnosed with colon cancer and he became very weak from chemo. And at one point, he made the incredibly tough decision that he had to retire. So he made an extra week's worth of strips. And in one strip, he said goodbye to the characters. Mm. Uh, And this was the quote that he used to say goodbye to everybody. Uh, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Linus, Lucy, how can I ever forget them? I thought, that poor kid, he never got to kick the football. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. His, and the thing about it is uh, he, sent these to the, he sent these to the printers, and they ran this week of, of strips. And the day the final strip was published, he died that morning. Oh! <gasps> He died at the same time that the strip <gasps> ended. And that that was his legacy because like we said at the beginning, our special interests are our life. He could not live without Snoopy. He could not live without being an artist. He died the same day the strip ended. Wow. And this is the thing about us because this is 
This is who we are. We are our passions. We are idiosyncratic. We are messy. We, we, we have to deal with life as it comes. And this is why uh, Charlie Brown is a, a great hero because one thing that he made sure of is that Charlie Brown kept going. He never got to kick the football, but he never stopped trying. Trying. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. This is a big thing that I want to emphasize, especially during the holiday season, because I know that the people listening there might be a lot of listeners here who don't have people for the holidays. There might be a lot of listeners who are feeling depressed, who are feeling alone, who are worried that they will never have a community, that are worried that people won't understand them. But Charlie Brown tells us to keep going no matter what. You may not get a chance to kick that football, but you should still try. You should all keep going. And this is a this is one of my favorite quotes that uh, Charles Schultz had Charlie Brown say. Sometimes I lay awake at night and ask, why me? Then a voice responds, nothing personal. Your name just happened to come up. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's, that's life. This was Charles Schultz's view on things because it, it, we're given circumstances in life. We are born with the brains we have. We are born with the people around us, but we have to keep going. We have to keep trying. And if you follow your passions, again, Charles Schultz followed his passions. He, he was passionate about cartoons from the age of six. He became possibly the most famous cartoonist in the entire world. To this day, the specials from 1965 keep running every single year. To this day, Snoopy, F you, this is All my favorite mug. All exactly. My son got <laughs> me this mug. I love it. So, yeah. Matt, I want to ask you a really hard question in, in the most intimate and honest way possible. Uh, nothing personal. Your name just came up. So if tomorrow there was a cure for autism, if we could, I don't know, take a pill that would reduce the mTOR proteins and trim and prune our synapses, would you take the pill? Not in the least. I, I think that there are, I think that the positives far outweigh the negatives because I love being passionate about what I love. I cannot imagine a life where I don't have the intensity that I have. I can't imagine a life where I don't think as much as I think. I can't imagine a life where I I am diminished. I can't imagine a life that is muffled talk or muted. About, we could talk about the weather and pets and maybe traffic patterns. Exactly. That could exactly. be fun. <laughs> I, I, I am Cookie totally, recipes. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing because I am totally willing to trade being able to uh, mesh with 80% of the world because, again, the current estimate is that 20% of the population is autistic or undiagnosed autistic. Mm -hmm. That's so what I, think. I am I am totally willing to forgo that ability to mesh into a bland 
group uh, in exchange for being able to really, really, really mesh with a very specific few people who give me that euphoric burst. Even if you never get to kick the football, though? Even if I never get to kick the football. Because again, like most autistic people, I have a lot of anxiety about things. I, I worry about a lot of stuff a lot. I, I overthink literally everything. But again, it's often in a good case. And again, Charlie Brown illustrates all the worries that autistic people have. Okay, here's, this is Lucy, of course. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hyping-guy-phobia. Uh, Charlie Brown says, I don't think that's quite it. And Lucy says, how about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have allurophagia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Lucy says, are you afraid of staircases? Then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. That's the fear of oceans or Jeffarobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges, or maybe you have pantophobia. And Charlie Brown says, what's pantophobia? And Lucy says, that's the fear of everything. And Charlie Brown says, that's it. Pantophobia. <laughs> that's it. This <laughs> describes us because our brains are always active. Our brains are always churning through the variables. Our, our brains are constantly going through hypothetical situation, hypothetical situation, hypothetical situation, hypothetical situation. It might cause us to lose sleep. It might cause us to stare out into space because we're busy processing. It might cause us a lot of distress and to overthink social situations. But again, that intensity can also bring us really, really good stuff. It, that intensity allows us to enjoy things on a scale undreamt of for holistic people. Holistic people can't imagine how much joy collecting cool stuff like this brings me. It, they can't imagine how much joy I have in reading a new book or watching a new show or listening to good music. They can't imagine I'm getting a lightsaber in the mail later today. Yay! I love that. It's so cool. I have such a fine collection. Insert General Grievous quotes here. This is a fantastic way. And this is the thing because we need to overcome the stigma. We need to overcome the 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 message sent by people who don't understand us that we need a cure because we need understanding, we need resources, we need community. And again, I encourage you, if you do feel alone, if you do feel like nobody understands you, we've got a group for that. Please join us. You have to answer some questions to make sure that you're not a bot or secretly with ABA or any of that kind of stuff. But we'll be happy to have you. There are people in the world who understand you. There will be people who accept and enjoy your company. And you will have friends because you just haven't found the right people. We need a community. We need the land of Autistica. And it exists. And yeah. this is why I'm very happy to call Charles Schultz one of us. I'm very happy to call Charlie Brown one of us because Charlie Brown is a hero. He never gives up and neither should you. And just to clarify, even though we have some suspicions Charles Schultz ah, yes. was autistic, we don't actually know that, right? Like he no. wasn't, he, he didn't was, come out. He was never officially diagnosed, uh, but I would be proud to call him a member of our community if he, he was. Yes. Yes. And certainly the series and all of his work represents autistic culture and values and norms and all that good stuff. So 
awesome. So uh, that brings up a question. Uh, what was your favorite part about being autistic this week? Well, I got called out this week. I will say it called out, called in. Actually, you did too. And I loved it. Uh, so one of our listeners, and feel free to call us out in the comments, we can take it, um, said, hey, you've got a whole bunch of episodes here about white dudes like Charles Schultz. Where are the women and people of color? And I loved this question. I love that we talked about Franklin today. Um, and I do want to acknowledge um, that, you know, women and people of color, first of all, autism in general is underdiagnosed, in my opinion, but especially among women and people of color who have been misdiagnosed as histrionic or schizophrenic. And it is hard to find data. So we do have some episodes coming up that we are excited about. Definitely, we're going to be talking about Temple Grandin, Greta Thunberg. We're going to be talking about Chris Rock, Satoshi Tajahiri from uh, Pokemon fame. But uh, I love reading about women and people of color that are autistic. So if you have more recommendations for us, Rate, review, comment, share with us because we definitely want to share those stories and also stories of um, non-speaking autistics that we will be definitely talking about. I am excited to share about Maori, a New Zealander, who is an amazing non-speaking artist. So we will definitely be talking about Susan Taharangi King. And, and we are doing the research, so consider us called out. We will make sure to add more diverse voices uh, from the neuro-minority. It is Harder to find the info, but we are up for the challenge, right, Matt? Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to do an episode about Questlove because ha have you seen the man's collections? He has an epic Ooh. museum. Yeah, <gasps> yeah, I mean, I just fantastic. Plus, again, great musicians. So, uh, And uh, diagnosed one of us, so he is officially autistic. Ah, I love it. All right, Questlove coming up. Keep your comments coming and please rate and review the show. It helps other people find us. And I know this might sound dramatic to say, but that can literally save lives. When you realize you're autistic and it's not just that you're horribly broken or dropped on the wrong planet or from the moon, as Matt said, that can literally save people's lives from depression. Autistic people are four times more likely to commit suicide. And that number doubles among women. Um, I don't have the numbers on people of color, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. So help people find us, rate and review. So many of you have written to us and said, how can I help? Post this in social media, tell a friend. Uh, it really makes the world a safer place for people in the neuro minority. So thanks for joining us today. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowerylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, -T, Matt, 
Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Thank you.